All right. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. We are so, so happy to deliver God's message to all of you who are joining us through Zoom, Facebook Live, and those, of course, who are gathered in this place, this physical venue, to again study the words of our Almighty God. We are truly thankful for God's presence in our life and His guidance as we study His teachings. Now, we're going to proceed and look at the name before we proceed to that topic, let us first stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, yes. thank you so much for your grace and compassion. Yes. Because of this, we are able to stand yes. before your presence at this hour. Amen. Thank you, O God, for listening to our cries. Yes. You are a God who sees and a God who hears, yes. and also a God who provides each and every one of us. Amen the many needs in our life. Father, our basic needs spiritually are your words. Yes. For in it we find guidance, yes. we find strength, and we find your power. Amen. And so as we study your holy words tonight, yes. may you please send forth your Holy Spirit yes. that all of us can be properly taught your holy will in our life. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, we praise and worship you as well. Yes. Increase our faith day by day. Yes. Increase our knowledge of our God. Yes. Increase our knowledge about you, our loving Messiah and Chief Shepherd. Amen. Father, please forgive all our sins. Yes. May you cleanse us completely yes. that we can be worthy before you to receive your many blessings. Amen. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, praises be to the Lord God that we are able to study uh, Exodus chapter 3 today. Last week we talked about Exodus chapter 2, and we left off with Moses going from Egypt all the way to a place called Midian. It is a desert. He gets married there, and he is also being trained by God. How is he being trained by God there in Midian? Let's read the book of Exodus chapter 3 and the verses 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. So how was Moses trained there in Midian? Because in Egypt, he was trained with all the wisdom, right? And all the wealth and notoriety of Egypt. And so he became the prince of Egypt to take on the reign and the throne of the future Pharaoh. 
but God had other plans for him. God is to use him as an instrument to set free the people of Israel. To be able to do that, God had to prepare him first. 40 years in Egypt, now 40 years in the desert. In the desert, how did God test him or teach him or train him? Well, instead of using the wisdom of men, God used the trying circumstances of the desert to teach him about patience and also about human beings. Why? Because he was tending what? A flock. He had to learn how to become a shepherd. So what happened there? He led the flock far into the wilderness. This eventually would be the role of Moses for some 40 years in the desert. Remember, he was 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and 40 more years in the wilderness. He is to lead the flock of God's people this time, not a flock of sheep, but a flock of God's people through the wilderness. This is the role of Moses after setting free the people of God. Take note, his father-in-law's name is Jethro, right? Last week, it, his name was Ruel. Here at the opening of chapter 3, his name all of a sudden changes to Jethro. What does that mean? Well, I don't really know. It could be that Jethro is the priestly name that was given to him because the word Jethro actually means abundance or supremacy. So it could be his priestly name and his personal name is Ruel. So we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can only speculate. What we do know is Moses learned to be a shepherd. Moses learned to take care of the flock. So while he was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, what happened? Exodus chapter 3, 2 down to 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And so while he was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, what happened? The Lord appeared to him. Was it God himself who appeared to him? No, he was manifested in glory. What was his glory manifested as? Bible says he appeared to him as a blazing fire that engulfed the bush, but didn't burn it up, right? And so that was a strange phenomenon to Moses. God appeared to him through the burning bush. How many here are familiar with the burning bush? Do you not? You've never heard about the burning bush before? Because there are people who still wait for God's burning bush before they begin to act, right? You know, the burning bush was unique to Moses. Don't expect God's going to speak to you with a burning bush and call out your name, right? Frank. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> That's not how God's going to work today. That was for Moses. He used the burning bush. Now, when Moses became aware of the burning bush, and he was amazed by it because it was not burning up. What did he do? Exodus 3 verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. And so when Moses got curious, he got closer to take a look. I would do the same thing, right? And as he was closer, God called to him and said to him, Moses, Moses. And what did Moses say? Here I am. You remember that phrase? 
We ought to be like that. Lord God, whatever your will for my life is, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, here I am. We may have different circumstances in our life. When God calls us to do something, we ought to say the same thing. Here I am. I am available for you, God, to be used by you as an instrument. And so when Moses says, here I am, he draws closer. What does God tell him? Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Moses was told, don't get any closer. Take off your sandals, because you are standing on holy ground. Wherever God is at, that's holy ground, right? And so when we are going to approach the presence of God, even if it's in a community center or even in one's house, if we are performing something before God's presence, we need to show reverence. Always keep that in mind. We have to show respect for God. How? When He is present, if we are performing a service rendered to God, we need to always show utmost respect and reverence for Him. This is why we should not be sleeping, right? We should not be playing with our phone while we study the words of God. We need to be all ears and fully aware of what God has to tell us. And so what happened next? Exodus 3 verse 7, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers, the Egyptians. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So what does God reveal to Moses? God says, I have seen and I have heard. Remember that? God is a God who sees. God is a God who hears. What does he see? He sees the oppression of the people of Egypt, in Egypt, of his people in Egypt. What else? What does he hear? He heard the cries of distress. Apparently, the people of Israel, they were crying out to God. They were praying to God for deliverance. What does God want us to know? God says, I am aware of their suffering. That's true today, too. God sees. God hears. God is aware of all your sufferings, no matter how small, how big they may be. God knows, and God is aware about our suffering. So God tells Moses, yes, I have heard, I have seen, I know what's happening there in Egypt concerning my people. And so what does God announce to Moses? Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites now live. And so what does God announce to Moses after declaring, I have heard the sufferings of my people? God says, I have come down to rescue them. In other words, it's time to take action, and God is going to deliver his people. How will God deliver his people? It's a twofold process. First, he will take them out of Egypt, and then he will take them into the promised land. Isn't this also the promise of God to the last messenger? He will take us out of Babylon, right? And take us into the flock of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the pattern is again the same. God will rescue his people from Egypt and take them into the promised land where there is milk and honey that flows throughout the land. And so what does God reiterate to Moses? Exodus 3 verse 9, indeed, I have indeed heard the cry of my people and I see how the Egyptians 
are oppressing them. You know, we can sense here that God is a compassionate father. All right? Yeah, we can see that throughout scriptures. And another thing we can see throughout scriptures is how God opposes and is against those who oppress people who are weaker. Right? If you have power, you have authority. It could be at the workplace. It could be a religion. It could be in your house. If you are the father or the mother or the head of the household, if you use your power and strength to oppress the weaker ones, God is against that. God is always against those who oppress and always takes the side of those who are oppressed. God says, I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. And God says, I am going to deliver them. And you know what God says after that? Moses was shocked. <laughs> what does God say to Moses? Let's read Exodus 3 verse 10. Now go. <laughs> For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And after God says, you know, I heard the cries of my people. I'm going to come down and rescue them. And then the bombshell. Moses, you're going to go. <laughs> Perhaps Moses was expecting God is going to do all the work. Right? But that's not the way God works. When God says he will do something, guess what? He will look for instruments. This is why we need to always be available. We need to say to God, Lord, here I am. Use me as your instrument. And so God says, I will deliver my people. But you, Moses, I'm sending you. You're going to lead my people. But what does God assure Moses? Let's read the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and the verses 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? <laughs> that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Do you notice something different about Moses this time? What do you notice about Moses? His what? Humility. Before, what did he do to prove that he was the man to rescue his people Israel? What did he do? He killed a man. He killed a man to convince his people, his brothers, his brethren, in he, uh, the Hebrew people, that he is the one appointed by God. And now here's God himself saying, you're going to be the one. I'm going to send you now to Pharaoh. I'm going to, take, I'm going to send you to set my people free. And Moses says, well, who am I? Who am I? And so we can see the humility of Moses. You know, when God will, you, will look for people to use as an instrument, he will look for hum, humble people. Why? Because humble people realize it's not about them. Who is it about? God. I mean, if a person will be used who's full of himself and God will use that person, what's the person going to say? It's because of me. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said not many who are strong, not many who are rich, not many who are learned according to the wisdom of men are called by God. God called the base things of the world, the weak things of the world, so that they will not glory in the flesh, but glory in who? Our Almighty God. So God is looking for humble and meek individuals. Moses in Egypt was not yet ready. What was needed was for Egypt to be taken out of Moses so that he can be humble and usable by our Almighty God. Now he's usable, right? Because he says, who am I? Before God can use us, the I has to go. So God can be the one to direct and lead us in fulfilling this great work. And so what does God promise him? 
Exodus 3 verse 12, God answered, I will be with. Do you remember that? Wasn't that also the promise of God to the last messenger? I will be with you. That's what gives us courage. Not us, but God who will be with us. So God says to Moses, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Not only does God say, I'll be with you. He's telling Moses what's going to happen next as a sign, right? What is that? He said, you're going to worship me at this very mountain. Fulfilled prophecy is the best proof of prophecy from whom? Our Almighty God. This is why when people ask us, you know, why do we have such courage in the work that we do today? It's because we see prophecy fulfilled. The works mentioned by the prophecy and the fulfillment of the works is what gives us confidence. It is from our Almighty God. So God is telling Moses, this is the sign. The prophecy is going to be fulfilled on this mount. You will worship me here. But God is not yet finished. You know what else? Uh, God tells him to do uh, Exodus 3 16 and 17 now go and call the elders of Israel so he's going to speak first to the elders the leaders of Israel tell them the Lord the God of your ancestors the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me he told me I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites now live. So now live. So what does God instruct uh, Moses to do? He's instructed to go to the leaders first, the elders of Israel. And whatever, what God said to Moses, Moses would say to the elders of Israel. But Egypt will be overcome. The people of Israel will be taken out of Egypt and be brought to their own land to fulfill the promise of God that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what does God assure Moses of? Exodus 3 verse 18, he says, the elders of Israel will accept your message. I wonder why. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. And so, to pacify maybe some of the fears Moses might have. He said to Moses, don't worry about the elders. They will accept your message. But then here comes a command of God that defies all logic, it seems. What does God say to Moses? Now you're going to take your elders and you're going to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him, oh, we're going to go on a trip. <laughs> For three days, we're going to go to the mountain and worship God. <laughs> wow. That's pretty outrageous you see when we're dealing with god nothing is outrageous you know why because with god nothing is impossible and so that's what they're going to do they're going to ask pharaoh pharaoh let the people free so we can worship the living god but what does god warn us or warn moses about concerning pharaoh exodus 3 verse 19 but i know that the king of egypt the pharaoh will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. And so in advance, God is telling Moses, you're, gonna, you're not going to have it easy. You're going to struggle a little bit. But don't worry. My mighty hand 
will be there to hold you up. Remember the promise of God to the last messenger? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will be with you. When God helps us, it is with his righteous right hand and also his hand of power and deliverance. And so what happens next? In Exodus 3, 20 to 21, what is the promise of God? So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. That's a wonderful promise. Not only will they be set free by Pharaoh using the miracles of God, they will also go to the promised land. Not only will they be going to the promised land, the Bible says God will cause the Egyptians to give you gifts. What kind of gifts? Exodus 3 verse 22. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Not only will God rescue them, he will provide for them all of these material things. Silver, gold, fine clothing taking the wealth out from Egyptians and giving it to his people. God is a God who sees, a God who hears, and what's the last part? A God who provides. And when he provides, it goes beyond our comprehension. Right? This is God's promise to Moses. I don't know. Can you imagine Moses thinking all this? Wait a minute. This is all going to happen? <laughs> We're talking about Egypt here. This is not an ordinary weak nation. This is the most powerful nation on earth. We're talking about Pharaoh here, one who has pride. This is not going to happen. And so Moses was probably thinking, what am I going to say to the people, right? Will they accept me? And so even before God gave him the details, Moses already thought of a question and asked the Lord God. What was that? Exodus 3 verse 13 Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? You have to put yourself in Moses' shoes. He has to convince the people of Israel that he is the one. Because they were not convinced before, right? They did not believe that he was the deliverer. And so what would convince them? Moses thought of a question. Okay, if they ask me that you sent me, well, what if they ask, what is his name? Number one. Number two, what will I tell them? So two questions are asked here by Moses. What will I tell them? What is your name? God answers the question, what shall I tell them first? In Exodus 3 verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so when Moses asked the question, what am I going to tell them? Who are you? And God says to Moses, this is what you're going to tell them. I am who I am. You know what that means? It means he's the self-existent one that causes all things to exist. A lot of questions come up. Some of you have asked this question before. Who created God? Right? Have you asked that question before? Who created God? What is your answer? 
I am who I am. That's God's answer. He doesn't need to be caused, but he's the cause of all things. He is the causeless cause. That's God. This is not any other deity that people recognize. Because back then, people recognized many deities, especially in Egypt, right? But this one, this is the real God, the true God. Why? Because I am who I am. He is the uncaused cause of all things and everything. So God answers the first part. Now, how about the name? This is what God says to Moses. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And so God answers his question. What is your name? What is the name of God? Because the Bible says, this is my name forever. What is the name of God? Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you see it there? Do you see in the passage the name of God? Raise your hand if you can show me the name of God in Exodus 3 verse 15. Because God says, this is my name forever. This is the name for which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Where's the name? You're going to say, Lord. Is Lord a name or a title? It's a name of a title, not name of God, right? Where is the name? You're right. It is L-O-R-D. In the Holy Scriptures, the name of God is recorded almost 7,000 times. Did you know that? You want to know the name of God? It's in the Bible almost 7,000 times. It's provided in the Holy Scriptures. But how is it encoded in English? L-O-R-D. There's something I want you to do when you get back home and you go to your Bible. So I want you to open it. Open your Bibles. When you open your Bible, next slide, you're going to find something unusual. There's going to be all these words spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Am I right? You see that, the, the highlighted part of this Bible? There's so many, so many words spelled L-O-R-D, all in capital letters. However, that's the English translation. When you look at the ancient translation, when you look at the Hebrew, from which it came from, instead of L-O-R-D, you know what you find in the original Hebrew text? Next slide. Another Bible. You see it? What do you see? You see script that you cannot understand. Right? That's the reason why. It's because that is four letters in Hebrew script. Not modern Hebrew, but Ancient Hebrew. It's called Paleo Hebrew. In Paleo Hebrew, we have the name of God, the name of God, spelled out or written like that. That's, not, that's found not just in our modern translations. That's found in the ancient manuscripts. Next slide. This is why if you study ancient manuscripts, you will find that name. It's four letters. The name of God in Paleo Hebrew. What is that name? Next slide. It is called the Tetragrammaton. What does that mean? Four letters. And so the name of God is spelled in four letters. The Yod, the He, the Wow, and the Hey. 
You see that? That's ancient Hebrew. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Four letters. Ancient artifacts have etched on them the very name of God in Paleo-Hebrew form. The Yad, the He, the Wow, and the He. It's the name of God. For example, next slide. In this Moabite stone, which was discovered, about, I, think, I believe in the 1930s. But the stone is dated 800 BC. It's a long time ago, right? During the days of Israel and the kingdom. There was a Moabite stone, and on the stone, Mesha, king of Moab, relates the story of his uprising against the people of Israel. So there was, you know, we have historical evidence outside the scriptures that there was a people of Israel, there were people of Moab. So they had a fight, right? And it mentions in this Moabite stone, which was written in the language of the Moabites. Interestingly, though, when you look closer at this Moabite stone, you find the following. Next slide. What do you see there? The four letters, the four letters which represent God's name, right? What are they again? The Yad, the He, the Wow, and the He, okay? Ancient Hebrew, why? You just learned Hebrew, <laughs> right? You learned, three, you learned three letters, the Yad, the He, the Wow, and the He, okay? And so that was found in the Moabite stone. And it shows you that even though the language was Moabite language, the name was kept pure, right? It was kept in what form? Paleo Hebrew. It kept the name. And we also find this in the ancient manuscripts from which we get our Bibles from, okay? Our Bibles come from ancient manuscripts. For example, one that was translated in Greek. Next slide. This is uh, the Septuagint. You see the, sc the scroll there? This is the Septuagint. Next slide, please. This is in Greek. You notice the Greek letters? Right? This is the ancient scriptures written in Greek. But you notice what they added when it was the name of God? It wasn't changed to Greek. Just like in the Moabite stone, it wasn't changed. The name of God wasn't changed into a Moabite name. It, 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 it retained the Hebrew name. Here, the Greek scriptures, right? It preserved the Paleo-Hebrew name. What else? Next slide. And we can find it in many, many um, of the uh, artifacts, many of the scriptures, ancient scriptures during that time. What else? Next slide, please. They even found a piece of pottery about 500, dating uh, 500 BC. And we find there the tetragrammaton, the four letters. And this time, it gives us the English. What does it spell? Y-H-U-H. Beloved brethren, that's the name of God in English. It came from where? The Tetragrammaton, right? Next slide, please. And so this is the name of God in Paleo-Hebrew or Ancient Hebrew. And then when you go down a level, that's modern Hebrew. You probably recognize the modern Hebrew, right? But not many people recognize the ancient Hebrew. And you have, of course, the Latin. Y-H-U-H. -H. Take note. 
that when you read ancient and modern Hebrew, you read from right to left. This is why the H, the Y comes first in Latin. And English, by the way, came from the Latin. So our alphabet came from the Latin. And so don't be surprised if there's a lot of similarities. And so in the Latin, it's Y-H-U-H. You got the Yod. You got the hey, you got the wow, and you got another hey. Y-H-U-H is the name of God. That is what is recorded in the original Hebrew script. Well, how about the W? Because sometimes it's cast in the form Y-H-W-H. Am I right? Have you heard that before? Y-H-W-H? Where did the W come from? Next slide. There's actually no letter W in Hebrew, Greek, or Latin. Gutenberg's invention of the movable type printing press around 1439 required individual letters to be placed by hand and printed one page at a time. The typesetters combined two Vs together to make a new piece of type, the letter shaped W, the letter W, that's why it's called W. It's actually a W. This is why the, the wow in Hebrew is best translated as the U in English, a W, the, the W that we know, came from a double use of U. The letter W was created by the typesetter since words like witch or wick previously were spelled with two V's or two U's, and two, uh, that's witch and, and wick. The letter shaped V in Latin sounded like our letter U, as in the form, as in the word for sword, gladius. It's not spelled gladives, it's gladius. This is why sometimes, next slide, you find different renderings of the sacred name, Y-H-W-H and Y-H-V, Y-H-V, H. There's nothing inherently wrong with using these names, Y-H-W-H, Y-H-V-H, provided you remember the W and the V provide the U sound, the U sound. And when you put two U's together, it makes the W sound, wah, wah, witch, wick, okay? But if you use Y-H-W-H, always keep in mind, it's Y-H-U-H. But why go to the mental gymnastics? Why not just, just use Y-H-U-H? That is the name of our almighty God, and that is the name, next slide, that is found all over the scriptures. That's why next time you read the Bible, and you come across the word L-O-R-D, all in capitals. You are to use Y-H-U-H. Isn't that amazing? Did you know about that before? That when we read the Bible, what we read is actually not what is contained in the scriptures? Now, is the translators purposely deceiving us? No. Why? Because in the preface, if you have a, a Bible, there's always a preface, like the first page. This is what it says in the preface. In regard to the divine name, they use Y-H-W-H, because the, the language evolved, commonly referred, uh, in regard to the divine name Y-H-W-H, commonly referred to as the Tetragrammaton, the translators adopted a device used in most English versions of rendering the name as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, capital letters, to distinguish it from Adonai. What's the translation of Adonai? Boyadon, what is it? What's Adonai? Lord, but it's spelled L-O-R-D, regular spelling. 
But if it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is in replacement of YHUH or YHWH. Okay, so when the translators translated most of the English Bibles we have today, they purposely hid the name of who? Our Almighty God. This is why when people read it, they think, oh, the name of God is Lord. No, the name of God is YHUH. Well, why did they do that? Why did they change the name YHUH and replace it with Adonai or capital L-O-R-D? Why? Well, let's take a look in this passage. A rabbi explains from philologos.org. It says, to, according to him, according to the Talmud, let's pause it for a while. How many here are familiar with the Talmud? The Talmud basically represents Jewish teachings that come from legends and myths and commentaries of the Torah. So it doesn't represent the Old Testament scripture, but commentaries and legends and traditions of the Jewish people. And the Talmud was basically, the Babylonian Talmud was really established back in the 5th century AD, long after Christ and the apostles. Okay, So you have this body of teaching called the Talmud, which is not scripture, not in the Old Testament, according to these Jewish people, which were the Pharisees, by the way. This is what they said, according to the Talmud, Sanhedrin 90a, notice it's not quoting scripture, you lose your portion in the world to come if you pronounce the divine name as it is spelt. So when you spell the divine name, the four letters, the pronunciation you can get from the four letters. And we're going to show you that. Uh, eventually. Therefore, the letters Y-H-V-H, this time he uses V, when it's supposed to be, of course, U. Okay, V is pronounced U uh, during that time. The letters Y-H-V-H, when read aloud, are to be pronounced under any, are not to be pronounced under any circumstance. You're not allowed to pronounce Y-H-U-H at all. The word Lord, or Hashem, the name, is usually substituted, and this illustrates the reverence that which the Jews hold this particular name of God. So why did the translators of our English Bibles change the name Y-H-U-H into L-O-R-D in cap letters? Because of what the Jewish people told them. What is that? That when people pronounce it, they will not receive salvation. They will not go to heaven. This is the teaching of the Talmud, as explained by the Jewish scribe. But when you think about that, when you look at other, uh, the, same, the, the explanation of other rabbis, you know what they have to say? Next slide. Judaism, the same source. The name in ancient times. In fact, the Mishnah recommends using God's name as a routine greeting to a fellow Jew. Doesn't that contradict what the other rabbi said? Right? Berakot 9.5, however, well, however, by the time of the Talmud, the Talmud, that's like the 6th century AD, 5th century AD, it was the custom to use what? Substitute names for God. Some rabbis asserted that a person who pronounces Y-H-V-H according to its letters instead of a substitute has no place in the world to come and should be put to death instead of pronouncing the four-letter name. 
we usually substitute the name Adonai or simply say Hashem, the name. Okay? Because when you read scriptures, you have to say something. You can't just leave the audience or yourself hanging. And so instead of pronouncing the name Y-H-U-H, they replace it and substitute the word Adonai. But nothing in the Torah. What's the Torah? The Bible, the first five books of Moses. Nothing in the Bible, in the Torah, prohibits a person from pronouncing the name of God. Indeed, it is evident from Scripture that God's name was pronounced routinely. Many common Hebrew names contain Yah or Yahoo, part of God's four-letter name. The name was pronounced as part of daily services in the temple, according to the explanation of this Jewish scholar. Yes, during the days of the Talmud, in the 5th century AD, they did not pronounce the name. But before that, it was routinely pronounced, recognized, and practiced. As a matter of fact, their kids were given from, derived from the name of, the four-letter word. This is why some, when you look at the names of the people of Israel, they will have Yah, Y-A-H, or Yahoo, Y-A-H-U, as part of their names. That gives you a hint as how to pronounce the name, right? Yah, Yahoo. The part, the first part of God's four-letter name, because in Hebrew, they often use nicknames, a shortened version of the actual name, like Michael, Mike, right? So you have the actual name, it's shortened, Yah, Yahoo. So Yahoo and Yah both refer to the actual name, okay? But we will tell you what that name is and how it is going to be pronounce. And so during the days of the people of God here on earth, when they were under the leadership of David and Saul and so forth, they really knew the name of God. And they pronounced the name of God. As a matter of fact, what did, what did Moses command to happen? Deuteronomy 32 verses 2 down to 3, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and the showers on the grass, for I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Moses says, I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. What does it mean to proclaim the name of the Lord? To cry out, to speak. In other words, he needs to verbalize the name of the Lord. So the people of Israel, they knew the name of the Lord, and they practiced pronouncing the name of the Lord, it was not anathema for them. It was not against the will of God for them to actually pronounce the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, what else did Moses say? Number 6, 23 down to 27. Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. Let's pause it for a while. So God tells Aaron, this is how you're going to bless the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. What do you notice about the rendering of Lord there? It's in all caps. So what was Aaron instructed to do? Pronounce the name, the actual name, Y-H-U-H. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put 
my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. This is why if you study the names of the Hebrew people, the prophets especially, you will find a part of the name of God in their names. And so it was proclaimed. It was used for a blessing, and it was used to name their children and the prophets. Their names derive from the name that God has given. Y-H-U-H. Well, why did they stop doing that? Why all of a sudden they tell the people we cannot pronounce the name of God? When did that start? Next slide. This is what it says. Because of the, uh, this is from a book uh, entitled uh, Y-H-W-H. Because of the utmost sanctity ascribed to the name, Jews from post-exilic times on have declined to pronounce it in public reading and only the consonants were written, Y-H-W-H. The Dead Sea Scrolls used the archaic Paleo-Hebrew script. You saw that, right? In modern usage, pious Jews often substitute the expression Hasem, the name. So when did this practice, this belief that you cannot pronounce the name of God or else you're going to be punished? When did that start? Post-exilic times. What does that mean? Post-exilic times. What are you hearing? What does that mean? Post-exilic times. Before or after the exile? After the exile. Before the exile, they commonly used the name of our Almighty God. But after the exile, then all of a sudden they stopped using the name. I wonder why. What happened? First of all, where were they exiled to? Do you still remember? Jeremiah 25 verse 11. This entire land, God says, will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. According to the prophet Jeremiah, where will the people of Judah, the people, the Hebrew people, people of Israel, where will they be sent for exile? In a place called Babylon or Babel. And they will serve the king of Babel there for how long? 70 years. So they were exiled. You might be thinking, well, they're the people of God, right? People of Israel, people of Judah, they're the people of God. Why would they be exiled? Why did God exile them to Babylon? What's the answer? What happened to them? What was their sin? Why did God exile them in the first place? Jeremiah 23, 26 to 27. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies. Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try, what does it say? Who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. What was the reason for God punishing his people Israel? which is why they were exiled to Babylon. It was because of idolatry. And because of idolatry, what happened to the people of Israel? They were forgetting the name of God in favor of the name of Baal. You see, back then, during the days of the Israelites, they were surrounded by pagans, especially during the days of the exile. The pagans influenced the people of God. You know what pagans practiced often? With their deities, next slide, pagans commonly concealed. They hid the name of their deities 
mystagogues, taught an initiate the mysteries of their pattern of worship. You see, back then, there were people who were in charge of doing the initiation work for someone who wants to join a cult, a pagan cult. During the days of Israel, they were surrounded by pagan cults who worshiped false gods. And so the mystagogues would teach an initiate from the people of Israel the mysteries of the pattern of worship. The pupil, the student, progressed through grade levels. As an initiate passed into higher levels of knowledge, they would eventually learn the name of the deity they were worshiping or a secretive theonym, which only they could interpret. This is the way Freemasonry still operates today. So during the days of Israel, during the days when they were idolatrous against God, when the people of Israel would secretly worship other gods, what would they do? They would adopt the pagan practice of concealing or hiding the name and using a theonym. A theonym, another name that represents something else. But only a person who has been told about the secret can understand the name. And so the use of substituting a name for God was practiced long ago. And what was one theonym, perhaps, that they used? Let's go back to Jeremiah 23. It says there, How long will uh, this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they have prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. And so they will use a substitute name instead of the name Y-H-U. H, because they were mixing their worship. They worship the Father. They also worship Baal or some other false deity. And so they use a theonym. One is Baal. Look at Baal. Do you know what the word Baal actually means? What do you think the word Baal means? Because remember, they will use the name of Baal instead of the actual name, Y-H-U-H. you know what the word Baal means, let's go to the next slide. Baal in biblical Hebrew, meaning, what does it say? Lord. And so the practice of using the name Lord as a substitute for the name Y-H-U-H was being done even before the exile. And it's what led to the exile. Next slide. Practice of substituting other terms for the name of God was practiced even during the time of Israel when they were into idolatry, because they were into idolatry, and God did not want mixed worship. What did God eventually do? Jeremiah again, 44, 26. Nevertheless, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are living in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, never shall my name be invoked again by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt saying, as the Lord God lives. Wow, we're not surprised now why so many people do not know the name of God. Why God took it away from them. The right to call upon him and invoke his name was taken away by God. Why? Because of idolatry. He did not want mixed worship. He did not want idolatry. And so what did God say to Jeremiah? They're going to be exiled to Babylon first. Number two, in Babylon, they're going to forget my name. Did that happen? Was that prophecy fulfilled? Next slide, please. We know the first part. They were exiled for seven years. While they were in Babel or Babylon, what happened to them there? The pagan population of Babel 
ridiculed them because they believed knowing the name of a person's deity gave them power over them. Pagans, remember, they hid the names of their deities. Hearing the pagans using the name of God in jest was outrageous to the people of Israel. So they stopped using the name entirely. They even made uttering it carry the death penalty. When reading scripture aloud, they taught to substitute the name Y-H-U-H with Adonai, my sovereign. There you have it. Why did they eventually forget the name? Or why was it taken away from them when they were exiled in Babylon as punishment by God because of their idolatry? God took away the use of that name. And eventually the people of Israel, because they were making fun of their, of their God, they could not, they, they were hiding now the name and the way it's pronounced from their pagan neighbors. And so that practice of hiding the name of God it carried on even after they were released from exile. Next slide, please. The person, the reason is that during the second temple period, this is after the exile, most likely in the early 5th century BCE, Jews decided that the name was ineffable, too holy to be uttered aloud. This was based on a particular interpretation of the third commandment. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord God in Vain. And so after they were exiled, they still did not want to use the name. Remember, before the exile, they were using the name. They were pronouncing the name and worshiping the name. After the exile, during the exile, they stopped. After the exile, they still stopped. Why? Now they give a reason. Because it's based on their interpretation of the command of God, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's one of the Ten Commandments. What commandment is that? One, two, or three. <laughs> yeah, it's the third commandment. You are so wise. We haven't even covered the Ten Commandments yet. Right? And so there was a command of God. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It says here, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the Scriptures. Do you believe the Scripture? Yeah. Is God telling us here not to use the name? Is that what God is saying? Oh, do not use the name. Is that what God's telling us? No. God is telling us don't use it in vain. It doesn't say don't use it at all. It says don't use it in vain. Before the exile, they were using it. They were using it in their worship of God. They were using it when they were naming their kids. Nothing wrong with using the name. Just don't use it in. Vain. What does it mean to use it in vain? Let's go ahead and take a look at the dictionary definition of vain. The dictionary definition for vain. Ineffectual or unsuccessful. Futile, a vain effort. Without significance, value, or importance. Baseless or worthless. Like when you use the name in jest. Or when you use it to mock. Right? When you don't take it seriously. When you use it without thinking about the reverence of the name or about the value of the name, the, sac the sacredness of the name. When you don't show reverence for the name, you're doing it in vain. But you know what? There's actually a deeper meaning of the word vain that is used in the Hebrew. Next slide, please. Vain, the word vain, is different from the meaning conveyed by the original Hebrew text. The inspired Hebrew word which we translate the word vain from is shin wow aleph, 
shua or more, commonly expressed as shoah. What is the meaning of the word shoah? Because the Hebrew, that's really the essence of the word vain. What is the meaning of shoah? Next slide, please. This is the definition of it in Hebrew. It means devastation, ruin, lay, waste, destroy. So to destroy, omit, miss, obfuscate, circumlocute, substitute, shun, ignore, deny, change, ruin, lay waste is what Shoah means. And so when it says, thou shalt not use the name of God in vain, God is telling us, do not use the name of God so that it will be omitted, destroyed, or substituted. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what does it mean then? When we substitute the name of God, Y-H-U-H, for the name Lord, we are making the name of God in. Wow. This is why when you look at the next, the, the next passage, I mean the next slide, look at that. How many times did they change the name of our Lord God? Y-H-U-H and put Lord instead. How many times? Next slide. In most English translations of the Bible, the name of God has been taken in vain at least 6,823 times. Can you imagine that? Every time they look at the word Y-H-U-H, the sacred name. He put L-O-R-D, which is the meaning of Baal. <laughs> so they have taken the name of God and rendered it in vain. They destroyed the name of God. Are you going to allow for this to happen? Are we going to not speak up when people misrepresent and substitute other names for the actual name of our Father? We should not do that. Why? We should never take the name of God in vain. And there's another reason why. Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, God says, Whatever I command you, be careful, not, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. And we all know what happens to those who add and subtract from the Bible, right? We were taught that. When you substitute the name Lord for Y-H-U-H, what are you doing? You're subtracting. And adding. <laughs> That's not good, right? That's not good at all. This is why we should be concerned. We don't want the name of God to be desecrated, to be substituted. We need to observe. We need to use in a reverent way the name of our almighty God. You know why? Because God wants us to know his name. What's the proof? Let's go back to Moses. We're almost done. Let's go back to Moses. Exodus 3 verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And what if they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell, what shall I tell them? And so Moses approaches God. If they ask me about your name, what shall I tell them? And so if the people want to know the name of God, what am I supposed to tell them? What does God say? Exodus 3 verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites. He gives his name. God didn't say to Moses, if they want to know my name, tell them only you can know my name, Moses. 
but the others, they cannot know my name. Is that what God said? No. God said to Moses, they want to know my name? I want to give them my name. That's why he says, this is my name, the Lord, which we know it's Y-H-U-H. That's the name. And what does he say about that name? He says, this is my name forever. What else does God say about his name? I am to be remembered from generation to generation forever. Does that cover our time? What do you think? I would think so. Generation to generation, forever. Old Testament, New Testament, forever is forever. This is why we are to, we are to know that thing. What proves? I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this question. What is the proof that God wants his name to be remembered from every generation forever? What is the proof God wants us to know his name? What's the proof? God wants us to know his name and to use his name in a reverent way. You give up? Next slide. He had it written 6,823 times. If God doesn't want his people to know his name, do you think he would have it written? <laughs> think about it. Would he have it written 6,823 times if he does not want people to know his name? Of course not. Who doesn't want us to know his name? The Pharisees. That's why they covered it with the name Lord, which means Baal. But as far as God is concerned, yes, he wants us to know his name. As a matter of fact, God says in the prophecy, Isaiah 52, verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day, I am the one who is speaking here, I Am, even after the exile, God's prophecy to Isaiah says, my people shall know my name. And so they will again know the name of God. What else are we to do with that name? Psalms 138.2. I will bow toward your holy temple. I will give thanks to your name. Because of your mercy and truth, you have made your name and your promise greater than everything. So we are to give thanks to the name. We are to know the name of God. What else? Psalms 105, 3 down to 4. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. What else are we to do with the name? Is it just to know the name? No. We are also to worship his name. To exalt his name. To praise and glory in his name. How can we do that if we don't know it? How can we do that if what we know is L-O-R-D in all caps? That's what the Bible is telling us. We are to worship his name. Not only that, in our worship of his name, what are we to do? Psalms 22 verse 22. I will tell, I will tell of your name to my friend. Not just to the minister. Not just to Moses. What does it say? To my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. This is why we should include the name of our almighty God in worship. I'm not the one saying that. God is the one saying that. Right? What else? 
Ezekiel 39 verse 7, my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. And that's capital L-O-R-D. That's the name of Y-H-U-H. The Holy One in Israel. Not only will it be spoken in our worship, not only do we speak it to our brethren, not only shall we know about the name, the Bible says the nations will know about the name. This is why we are not to keep that name to ourselves. We need to share that name, but we need to make sure we do it in a reverent way. As a matter of fact, when we go back to the days of Moses, when Moses um, confronted uh, Pharaoh and God had to use his mighty hand to show the power of God so that Pharaoh would release his, the people Israel, you know what the Apostle Paul commented about that? This is what he said, Romans chapter 9, verse 17, where the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name, what does it say? Might be hidden, right? Is that what it says? Might be what? Proclaimed throughout the whole earth. How can it be proclaimed if it's concealed and hidden with the name Lord? We are to proclaim the name throughout the whole earth. But not many people are going to be agreeable to that. I'm sure there are people listening to this lesson today who are probably going to react, will probably say something to the negative, right? Well, what does God say about that name? Exodus 20, verse 4, You shall make an altar of earth, an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Not everyone will accept the name. But there are those whom God will cause to remember his name. And why will God cause him to remember his name? The Bible says, I will come to you and bless you. God wants to bless us. And knowing his name is an important part of receiving that blessing from our almighty God. God wants us to know his name. And there's blessings that come to us by knowing his name. You know what great blessing is given to those who know his name, John 17, 6, 26. Before I read this passage, who's the one speaking there? Who's the one speaking there? We're in the book of John. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. Who's the one speaking there? I think we need to pay attention to what Christ has to say, don't you? <laughs> oh, yes. He's greater than Moses. Greater than Moses. What does he say? He said... I made your name known to the people you gave me. See, not all people will accept that name. Not all people will believe that name. But there are those who will want to know that name. Christ says, I made your name known to the people you gave me. They are from this world. They belong to you. And you gave them to me. They did what you told them, and I have made your name, what does it say? Known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. You see, during the time of Christ here on earth, it was already taboo to know the name of God. That's why Christ said, 
I have revealed your name to them. Why? Christ says, so that. In other words, there's a blessing attached to that. Not everyone will get to know that name. But those who belong to Christ, because God has given, that, given them to him, Christ says, I have made your name known to them. And he says, so that. Right? He says, your love, the love with which you loved me may be in them. So one of the blessings is the love of our God. The name of God is powerful, brethren. It's powerful. Let us use that name, but do not use the name in vain. Do not use the name so it will be destroyed and mocked. Use the name with great reverence before our almighty God. That's why Christ says, I made your name known to them and will, future tense, make it known. Not only during the sheep of Christ during his time, but even the sheep of Christ that belong today. That's why Christ says, I will make it known. Brethren, today you know that name, right? What else is the blessing for those who know that name? Malachi 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. God listened to them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those, for those who feared the Lord. And what does it say? Who meditate on his name. That's a great blessing. What else? Let's read one more final passage. Psalms 91, 14 and 15. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Brothers and sisters, it's not a trivial thing to know the name of God. It's God's will, and we must use it even and especially in our worship. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ said, worship the name of God, right? I mean, during the days when we were in the institution, weren't we always said we don't worship idols? And our explanation was we don't worship idols because we worship the name of God. Did you ever ask, how do you worship the name of God? What is even, how can you worship the name of God if you don't even know what the name of God is? This is why we need to know that name of God. We are to worship that name of God because by that name, we're able to relate to God in a much, much deeper way. You know, we live in a time when it is such a great blessing to belong to God's people. He wants us now. He wants us now in these last days to restore that name because he wants us to have a deeper relationship with him. That is his personal name after all. When you meet a stranger, you don't give your name. But if you trust that person, you give your personal name. God wants to restore that because he wants a deeper relationship with us. And what is that name? Next slide, please. That is the name. Yad, a hey, a wow, and a hey. Y-H-U-H in English. How do you pronounce that name? We don't have time to do that today. Because there are people who pronounce it in different ways, right? Yahweh, Yehovah, Jehovah, Yahuwah. 
How do you pronounce that name? I'll give you a hint. How do you shorten the name of God throughout scriptures? Yah. And Yah? Who? Yah? Yahoo? Ah? What could it be? We'll find out in detail in our next Bible history project. Which is why next lesson, instead of going to Exodus 4, we're going to discuss the name of God. And then eventually the name of his Messiah. You're going to be shocked. Or next, we're going to do that in our future lessons. Okay? That is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand for our prayer. Everlasting Father, we thank you so much. You are truly kind to your people. When we were removed from the institution and sought you from our hearts, at first, there may have been doubts about what would happen to us. But ever since, we cried out to you. You responded swiftly and have gathered us together. You have given us your words. Now you have given us your name. It only means one thing. You are restoring your people. That we can grow in our knowledge of you. And deepen our worship of you and your name. Father, have mercy upon all of us. We need your guidance, oh God. Help us to endure until the end. And when people ask us about what we believe, teach us to respond both with courage and gentleness, that through the power of your Spirit, we will explain all about you and about your name. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we also worship you. Increase our faith. Help us and guide us in all that we do. Especially as we prepare for your second advent. That we will be among those whom you will deliver and rescue and bring to the promised land. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, that is our lesson for tonight. God willing, we will see each other, meet each other next Wednesday.